I think when uh, you said that I was married to one wife, somebody cheered. <laughs> He's going to make it. He's going to make it. Um, how, ma- how many of you, uh, your heart resonates with that song, Waymaker? Yeah, I, I first heard that at a young, on a, at a young adult Sabbath. Um, young adults were all leading out in the service at a church called Oasis um, outside of uh, Vancouver, Washington, part of the Oregon Conference. And just a beautiful song that really, um, yeah, connected with me. I think there are, there are so many moments where we need a way maker. You know, we just, in that moment, you just don't see how this is going to pan out and how things are going to happen. And we're going to dive into a story in God's Word about a, a whole nation who didn't see how something was going to pan out. And they wondered, um, are we kind of at the end of our story? And they weren't. But yeah, I, I love that song, Waymaker. Thank you, Pastor Sergio, for leading out in this church. And I, I mentioned during the first uh, message this morning, uh, it has been such a joy to meet with you already. I've been hugged so many times, and I'm ready for those hundred lasagnas. And uh, it's going to be, I mean, the more time we hang together, the more that number is going to keep going up. Soon it's going to be a thousand. But yeah, thank you for uh, the warm welcome and the invitation. And so Sergio, Sergio and I, uh, Pastor Sergio and I connected through a, uh, project initiative that uh, I'm helping to lead for the North Pacific Union um, called the Adventist Northwest Growing Young Cohort and the Village Church uh, is part of that journey and in a nutshell uh, we are taking about 45 churches on a year-long journey for cultural change and we really believe that churches can become thriving communities for all generations amen and that when generations are working together, they're complimenting, complimenting each other, um, that you can see churches really thrive. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing about churches closing and churches dying. Um, and I believe the Waymaker can make a way. Well, I believe that churches are more relevant today than they have ever been. I believe that the church should be the greatest leadership development platform in the world. And that we have a great role to play in bringing hope and healing um, to communities like you're doing here in Richland. So from an, from an outsider that now feels like an insider, thank you for this church and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for loving this community of Richland and the Tri-Cities area. Uh, you're making a huge impact. So let's pray together and then we're going to jump in. Dear God, I want to thank you for being the way maker. I want to thank you, God, that for somebody who walked in this morning, maybe that was the word they needed to hear because they feel like they are backed into a corner. We don't know how this is going to play out. There's no doors that are opening up. Um, remind us all that you are the way maker, that you're always working behind the scenes, that you already have a solution for what we are stressing about right now. And when we don't think anything is going on, that you are fully active behind the scenes, engaging in our life and setting us up up for the best case scenario moving forward we love you thank you for uh this message and just want to thank you in advance for blessing us and bringing us together as a community today in your name we pray and everybody said amen so uh, i got a family and we're going to try to put that photo up on the screen so this is my family and uh my wife gifted me with that kombucha hat off ebay she thought that was kind of fun so but yeah, that's my family. Uh, my wife's name is Kim, and we met at Southern Adventist University. 
which I think at one time somebody said was called Southern Matrimonial College. Amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> you know, and so we happened to meet and we met on uh, the gymnastics team there at Southern. And I was coming back from doing a year um, on the island of Ponape as a student missionary. And she was coming in um, as a freshman. And so we met, and I used to throw her up in the air, and now I get to hang out with her all the time, which is really a blessing for us. So she is a Southern Belle from the, uh, I guess, the capital of country music, Nashville. And uh, so we were just back in Nashville um, for two weeks uh, earlier this week and did some speaking at Southern. But yeah, Kim and I uh, love doing ministry together, and we are blessed to have two kids. Uh, my son's name is Koa. And uh, his, his name is a Hawaiian name that means warrior and the giver of strength and courage. And uh, then my daughter's name is Remy, and we're told that it means blessed. That's what we tell her. Uh, I don't know if that's 100% what it means or not, but got two beautiful kids. And um, I grew up with a, with a great dad uh, who has always been part of my life. And I just want to thank um, all the men and women who have chosen to stay engaged in their families and in their communities. Amen. Uh, you make a huge impact and you may have kids or you may just be a father figure or a mother figure to kids, but I want to thank you for staying engaged and, and loving on your community. And I believe that every child that is under our roof is our responsibility. Amen. So you may have kids that are growing or you may have never had kids, but all the kids that we have in this Richland community, they are our responsibility. Amen. So thank you for staying engaged. And uh, before I ever had kids, you know, I, I was already had thought about, you know, I want to be a good dad. And just to put this out there, um, you don't become a good dad when you hold your child for the first time. You become a good dad five or ten years earlier when you begin to sow and build your character with God. And so it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. But I wanted to be a good dad, and I've got a long way to go, okay, in being a good father. But um, I'm trying every day. God's making a way. Amen. And so uh, in, in, in raising my kids, uh, who are now 10 and 8, I wanted to instill in them from an early age uh, that God had a great calling for their life. And so I built a little routine that we are still playing out today. And I, I believe that having worships with your family is still important. Um, it doesn't happen every night for us um, or every morning, but we try to make that a priority with our family. And so I had the opportunity uh, to close out many evenings with my kids, my son Koa, my daughter Remy. And so we set up these little routines, and here's how this would work. Um, I would usually first go to my son Koa's room and then my daughter Remy, and we would talk about the day. And I don't know if you ever, have ever um, been with a kid that didn't want to go to bed and they just kept talking about things. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, did you just call out your son in public? Did that happen? Yeah, okay. But, you know, so you'd ask, like, hey, how was your day? And they're just telling stories about all this kind of stuff and peanut butter and jelly and my test and my quiz. And, okay, buddy, I think that's enough. And uh, we would talk about the day. We would read a little devotional thought or I'd tell a story. We would pray together. And then I created a declaration statement to speak over the life of my kids every night. So after we would have this worship moment, my son and I would um, be closing out that little moment. And I would say, hey, Koa, um, I wanna, want you to say this um, and repeat after me. And so his declaration statement goes like this. I am a leader, and I will do great things for God. So he's been saying that since he was about three years old. And he knows it so well 
that if we are in the living room or kitchen area, uh, one time I told my wife, Kim, I said, hey, Kim, watch this. And I yelled um, to Koa in the other room. I said, hey, Koa, I'm a, and he said, dad, he's like, I'm a leader. I'm going to do great things for God. <laughs> I'm like, it's like uh, we, got, we got some work to do on that. But, he, but he, knows that, he knows it so well. So we've been saying that as many nights as we can. You know, again, doesn't, don't want to give you the impression it happens every single night. But, and then I go to my daughter's room. We have a similar routine where we talk about the day. We have a worship thought or a story. We pray together. And then her statement, declaration statement, goes like this. I am beautiful. See, I never, want my, I never want my daughter to go through life thinking that she has to earn her beauty from somebody else. I want her to know that God created her beautiful, and the beauty is, is sewn into her by the Creator from, from when she is born. So her statement is, I am beautiful, God has a plan for me, and I'm a leader. So about two years ago, we were, we were having a little worship moment, and I said, hey, Remy, repeat after me, I am beautiful. And she said in her confident, at that time, six-year-old way, she said, Dad, stop. And I thought, what is going on? She said, stop. And she took her little hands, and she smashed my face like this. And she said, Dad. You are beautiful. <laughs> and God's got a plan for you. And, and, and you're a leader. And I just had to receive it. You know, I was like, from the mouth of babes. <laughs> so I just had, I just had to receive that. But, but I think just the power of speaking that into the lives of a community I mean, even as adults, how easy is it for us to have a rough day and forget that we're called and forget that we're loved? And I think we have, there's such power in the tongue to speak life from God's word over and into each other. So we kind of had that little experience. And I hope that in doing that, and I don't know how it's going to play out when my kids are in college or, or young professionals, but I hope that when... They have little moments where their identity or their kind of is being challenged or they're going through some struggle that they can go back and declare that over their life that I'm a leader or I'm beautiful. God's got a plan for me and, and be able to go back to that statement that we have spoken so many times over our life. And the reality is there are many of us at times that we don't feel like we're leaders because we don't have a title or a position. Okay, let me tell you um, about leadership. Leadership is not about titles and positions. Leadership is about, is about influence. Amen. And every person in this Richland community or the Walla Walla Village community and beyond, every person is a leader because every person has influence. Okay, you with me on this one? Well, what do titles and positions do? They just give focus and specific responsibility to leadership. But leadership is is influence and all of us we have influence over our marriages or families or people we interact with in the community how many of you are on social media you know about the facebook uh <laughs> okay you know about the facebook man you are so trendy that's amazing that's incredible yeah 
Uh, the Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you're on social media, you have, in, you have influence. So that makes you a leader. And so the question is, are you stewarding your influence well? Because we all have influence and we are all leaders. And I asked last night as we kicked off our Growing Younger weekend, how many of you want to create change? And almost every single hand went up. I, I, matter of fact, I've never met somebody that just said, no, I don't care about change. I don't want to create change. I think there's something inside of us that wants to make things better. Amen? Amen. I think God planted that within us. And so when I, when I asked the question, how many of you want to create change? Last evening, I think every hand, uh, Pastor Sergio went up in the room. But the question is, how do we do that? Like, how do we actually go about creating change? I want to take you to um, a story in Scripture that I, I'm just going to guess you haven't gone to very often, but it is packed full with truths uh, from God's Word about how we create change uh, in our community. So let's go with your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Okay, um, I'm going to give you about 30 minutes to find it because uh, it <laughs> may not be one, you know, may not be as, as frequented as much as the Gospels. But let's go to the book of Nehemiah and give you a few minutes. When you found the book of Nehemiah, go ahead and say amen so we know you've got it. And I want to walk you through and teach, preach out of this story of Nehemiah that is an incredible story of how Nehemiah, without a title created incredible change and how did that really take place and so this is the book of nehemiah and um yeah i just i just love it uh, i love how it's written and uh, let's talk about this a bit so just to set up the context um the israelites god has always worked through a group of people the israelites have really made up their mind that they're going to choose their own way that they're not going to take God at his word. They're not going to believe God's promises. They are going to choose their own path and go their own way. And the result is that the Israelites, the, as a nation, they lie in ruins. And evidenced of their spiritual condition is the, the fact that the wall of Jerusalem lies in ruins. And so when the wall is broken down, you may see a physical wall, but it's really evidence to a spiritual condition. Sometimes we, th we, we see things and we think, oh, well, that's what the problem is. Often it's much deeper and it's, inter it's internal. So as the walls of Jerusalem are broken down, it's really evidence about the spiritual condition of a nation. And so here's how this story plays out. And it said this um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's just look at verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. And it said, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah, who is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, um, Nehemiah receives this word from his brother. We love receiving good news, don't we? Okay, this is, this is heartbreaking news. And so Nehemiah receives this news from his brother, and here is how Nehemiah responds in chapter 1, verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. 
I want to just have you think about this. Often, what breaks your heart the most is what God is calling you into to create change. So ask yourself that question. What breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Is it related to kids or families or brokenness within the community or the gospel not going out to different parts of the world? But think about what breaks your heart because what breaks your heart is often what God is calling you into to create change. So Nehemiah receives this heartbreaking news. And so the, 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 the question is, what is he going to do with the heartbreaking news? And there is times that we receive news and instead of taking the news to God we allow that tough news to separate us from God so Nehemiah receives this challenging message and report but he has made up his mind that he's going to take that to God when you got a rough day and I'm talking about a rough day how many of you in the last year have had a rough day okay don't let your rough days get between you and God. With that rough day, with that closed door, with that tough conversation, with that broken relationship, whatever it is, let that brokenness or that tough news drive you to God, not away from God. Priority one when you have a tough day is go to God and talk about it. That's priority number one. Don't dwell on it. Don't sit on it. Don't, don't uh, make a big social media post about it. Okay? Your number one priority is go to God and talk about it. So Nehemiah goes to God, and it says that he wept and mourned for days, and he continued fasting and praying before the Lord. And then you see Nehemiah praying in chapter 1, verse 10. And here's what Nehemiah says. Chapter 1, verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant himself today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And it said, finally, before chapter 2, now I was the cupbearer of the king. So you see Nehemiah as he begins to think about the possibility of what God could do. And I hope that in those moments when you see impossibility, you remember that God is the God of possibility. And so Nehemiah goes to God and he prays. And he asks God to, to, to make his heart right between him and God. And he confesses on behalf of a nation. And then he goes to God and Nehemiah asks God. He said, God, there are things that you can do for me that I cannot do for myself. There are doors that you can open up for me that I cannot kick down. Give me your favor. How many of you believe? That there is another level that God can take your life that you could never get to on your own. It's living in God's favor. How many of us, before we go to that job interview that we are so nervous about, are asking for God's favor? Nehemiah knew he needed the favor of God. And so Nehemiah asked for God's favor. Ask for God's favor upon your life. Ask for God's favor upon your marriage. Ask for God's favor upon your church or upon your 
community. So Nehemiah asked for the favor of the Lord. So here's the thing. If you're going to ask for God's favor, you better be ready for a setup. He's going to set it up. He's going to open the door. He's going to get you into the right place and the right time. And I want to tell somebody this morning that what is for you will not pass you. So Nehemiah asks for the favor and God sets up this whole scenario. And Nehemiah said, but I, 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 I'm just a cupbearer for the king. Remember, your influence is not limited by your position or your title. And so Nehemiah, all of a sudden he is here and he's having a conversation with the king. Now I'll tell you this, the cupbearer might have been one of the most trusted individuals in the kingdom. Okay? If you want to create great influence in your community and your church, you must be trustworthy. You've got to show up. Your character has to be rooted and solid, and people need to be able to trust you. So Nehemiah was faithful for years before God set up this moment where he was going to have the, the king's ear and make this amazing request. So Nehemiah is engaging with the king in chapter 2, uh, verse 2. And the king said to me, first person, Nehemiah, king said, why is your face sad? Seeing, uh, seeing, you, seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? Talking about the city of Jerusalem. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I hope, that, I hope this is just kind of blowing your mind a little bit. The king is asking the cupbearer, what do you want me to do for you? What is that? That's God's favor. That's God's favor upon you. That's the king asking the cupbearer, tell me what you want. And so Nehemiah, he does not respond right away. And I think we can take a lot from this lesson. He prays. He doesn't respond right away. But in that moment, he prays. And Nehemiah said in chapter 2, verse 4, So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> How many of us recognize once it comes out, you cannot get it back? Anybody, anybody ever had a moment like that? Oh, man. It's like, why did I say that? <laughs> okay. So Nehemiah, with much wisdom, he, he talks to God in that moment, okay? You have access to talk to God anytime you want. And he talks to God in the moment, and then he steps boldly before the king, and he says, king, in so many words, my city lies in ruins. I want to go and rebuild, and I want your approval and your blessing, and I want a letter with the official seal that I can show people that you have got my back, and I want to go and rebuild. Again, cupbearer asking this of the king. 
And so here, here you have this, this uh, moment where all of a sudden King Artaxerxes, um, knowing Nehemiah, they built up this trust relationship. God sets up this moment. Nehemiah is, cur- is courageous and he steps forward and asks God for what he wants or asks the king for what he wants. All of a sudden the king says, you got my blessing. Unheard of. Unheard of. You've got my blessing. Go and rebuild. Here's the letter. Here's the seal. Go do what you got to do. So Nehemiah takes a crew and they go and they assess the wall. Okay? They assess the wall. One of the first lessons of leadership is we have to honestly assess the current situation. What's happening with us? What's happening with people? So they go and they assess the wall, and they see how the wall is broken down. And I love what Nehemiah says in chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, Nehemiah speaking to his crew that is assessing the wall, you see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. And here's what Nehemiah says, and I just imagine like this Hollywood battle cry moment. Where the leader gets up and they say, this is what you see, but here is, a, here is what God is about to do. Are you going to give your focus and your attention to the ruins or are you going to give your focus and attention to the rebuild? And so Nehemiah says in Hollywood style, as I can imagine, come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we might no longer suffer diversion. And and I told them of the hand of my God that he had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me and and he said, let us rise and build. I mean, I'm just empowered. Like when I think, when I read that, by the power of God, that message, rise and rebuild. Rise and rebuild marriages. Rise and rebuild families. Rise and rebuild communities. Amen? So they, they, they rose and they, they built. So this is pretty amazing. And it's, you know, in chapter 3, I'm going to just kind of summarize. In chapter 3, they begin the rebuilding process. And the first thing that gets rebuilt in the wall of Jerusalem is the sheep gate. And the sheep gate was the entrance for sacrifices representing Jesus to come into the temple. So the sheep gate gets rebuilt first. Hear the message in that. If we are going to rebuild, our rebuild must be on Jesus. Jesus has to be the first brick that is laid. Jesus has to be the first part of that foundation. If we want to rebuild and see our life rebuilt, or a relationship, or a community, every rebuild that's going to last must be rebuilt on Jesus. Amen? On who Jesus says that we are. On what Jesus promises us. On on the words of Jesus in Scripture. If you want to rise and rebuild, rise and rebuild on Jesus. Amen? 
And so the sheep gate is built up and the, the, the wall begins to take shape and form. And Nehemiah tells um, his, his workers, he said, I want you to hold in one hand a tool to rebuild. And in the other hand, I want, to hold, I want you to hold a weapon. Because surrounding nations are being threatened by the rebuilding process. If we are going to rebuild, we have to build up and protect our community. And so they begin this rebuilding process. And as the wall was getting close to being finished, all of a sudden the surrounding nations feeling threatened by the progress came to Nehemiah. And I think this is, this is incredible for us. Came to Nehemiah and... Um, you can look at it. This is in Nehemiah chapter 6. They came to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is on the wall rebuilding. Okay? Leadership lesson for us. If you want to effectively create change, you have to be in the trenches with your people. You can't be in an ivory tower barking orders at people. You have to actually be with your people and with your team. Are, are you with me on that one? So Nehemiah is on the wall rebuilding. And the surrounding nations, they come to him, threatened, and they say, Nehemiah, come down off that wall. We want you to dine with us and share a meal with us. And they even said, and I quote, there are over 50 lasagnas that we have prepared for all of you, for all of you. Nah, no. sorry, Lord. And so they said, they said, come, this is in chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 2. Come and let us meet together, okay, on the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. So Nehemiah responded to the invitations in chapter 6, verse 3 by saying this. I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I stop? Why should I stop? Uh, well, I leave and come down to you. And they sent him the same invitation four times. So many times. If you are going to create and live out the greatest impact with your life, you have to be willing to say no. You've got to be willing to say no. And maybe somebody this morning needs to hear this word that not every good invitation is God's great invitation for you. I cannot do 10 things great. I can do 10 things good, but I'm created to do great things. Amen? So for me to do great things, I can't do 10 things. I can probably only do three things. So a lesson I learned early on is it's okay to say no so you can say yes to what is most important. You got a great invitation to the big lasagna lunch by your enemies. You knew what they were doing. But you had to say no to that so you could say yes to the greater work of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. I meet so many leaders that for whatever reason, they have said yes to everything under the sun. And they are so burned out, and their cup is so empty that they have nothing to give anybody else. I want to give you permission this morning to say no. It's okay to say no to good things, so you can say yes to God's great thing. 
Know your limitations. Know how much time you have. Know how much energy you have. And look at aligning your life with the great things that God is calling you to. Amen? So Nehemiah, um, he said no. He said, I can't come down and have, have lunch or dinner with you because it's going to stop the progress on the wall. And then you fast forward at the end of chapter 6. The work of God was finished. Incredible. And so in chapter 6, verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in, in, uh, in 52 days. Unheard, unheard of. How did that happen? Nehemiah heard the news. His heart was broken. He went to God with his broken heart. He got right with God. He asked for God's favor. God set up the favor moment. He stepped forward with courage, okay, because God was with him, and he boldly asked for the request that was in alignment with his heart and where God was leading him. He pulled the team together. He honestly assessed what was going on, and they rebuilt this wall, and he protected the calling that God had on his life by being willing to say no to extra things so he could say yes to God's great things amen all of us in this room have the ability to create change and you've got the ability to create change in a way that is unique according to your gifts and your abilities and your passions amen we are change makers we are change makers connected to the way maker amen so for somebody this morning, I want to speak that word that I spoke to my son and daughter into you. And I want to tell somebody this morning that you are a leader and you will do great things for God. And for somebody that needs it, even like me, you are beautiful. Value is in you already. God has an incredible plan for not somebody else's life, for your life. You are a leader. As a Richland Plus community, <laughs> as a Richland Plus community, may we create change. And may we use what God has given us, our passions, our gifts, and our abilities, so we can do something great for the honor and the glory of God. Amen? Awesome. Let me pray for you. God, I want to thank you so much. Um, I need to hear that every day. I need to hear that I'm a leader called by you. That leadership is not about titles and positions. It's about influence. And we are called to steward the influence that we have well. Thank you for this community. Thank you for what you did through Nehemiah who some may have thought, man, he doesn't have any titles, he doesn't have any positions, but he had influence, and he stewarded that influence well. God, for anybody who needs a reminder that you are the God that rebuilds, encourage us with that word, uh, God, that you can rebuild relationships and communities and churches, and we get to be a part of that rebuild process. Thank you, God, and your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.